You're listening to the Highland Steve English Podcast, a comfy place to talk about all the great and not-so-great parts of teaching ESL abroad. I'm Steve, and I've got Hal here, too. Howdy. We're coming to you live from the local PC Bong. For those of you who don't know, that's an internet cafe in South Korea. We got a little bit of construction going on today, so you're going to hear a bunch of hammers, a bunch of buzz saws, and a bunch of other crazy stuff. But we figured it just adds more charm to the show. So today we're going to talk about how we ended up here as ESL teachers abroad. Stay tuned. All right, guys, so today's topic is how we ended up as ESL teachers abroad. I'm sure you're all very interested in that tale, but before we get going, let me remind you that this week we've got our great gigantic UNO pack out and about. How how many UNO decks did you make? Uh, seven decks. All right, so we've got seven different UNO decks, and they're based on which vocabulary series? What's that, the Cambridge YLE? Good, good, yeah. They're based on the YLE vocabulary series, so... Basically, that's great for students that are in elementary school or any students that are A2 level or below. So anybody who's beginner, intermediate, or below. So you can go ahead and check out our website for that. We'll have a gigantic blog post with all those downloads available. Um, most of them will be free for about a weekish. After that, we're going to charge you money because that's what we do. And then... Yeah, d- uh, downloads and download them in the first weekend. Let me add, there's, I added two just for fun decks. There's one mythical monsters, and then there's one with like 60 animals, oh, different great. animals. So if you're looking for, you know, something else like that for like a camp or something, yeah, that'd be great for a camp. So we've got those in the blog post. We'll throw that link in the descriptions below. And as always, remember for. For free, you can join our website and get a membership. Zero dollars a month. Um, for the first month, of course. After that, you've got to pay $9.99. But you know, that's no big deal. That's like two sandwiches from the convenience store, or a bottle of soju, and a bag of chips, you know. And we appreciate it. We'll make sure that we spend that money the right way. On our own convenience store here, and our own beer, and our own snacks. And we, uh, we've got a lot of stuff recently, so we really appreciate it. All right, let's get into it. How? We're going to talk about how we ended up as ESL teachers abroad. So, anything interesting over there? The same old, same old. Well, do you mind starting uh, starting us off with your story? Yeah, Hal's got some real delicious rice and, what is that, Jay Bokum, that stir-fried pork? No, uh, no it's the kimchi, kimchi-based one. Ah, uh, all right. What's it called? If you all don't know, these PC bongs in South Korea, you can order basically a five-star meal. A microwave five-star meal, but still, a pretty dank meal nonetheless. I'm good to go here, yeah. So, whenever we, uh, when I came to Korea, it was more about the weird situation in the United States. How, what was your main decision? Was it the fact that you really wanted to be an ESL teacher, or was it that, uh, there's really not much going on in the USA? And for those of you listening, we've got the the aircon just turned on here too, so that's going to add a new hint of ambiance to this podcast. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, I'm sure listeners will appreciate our frankness because uh, that's maybe something you don't always get, but uh, I'll be frank. I mean, I, di- I didn't care one whit about becoming an ESL teacher. Uh, it was more situational factors, and and that's the best opportunity to, uh, to start 
working abroad. Yeah, yeah. For me too, it's just mine's gonna mine's basically like one of those movies about growing up. I had no idea what to do after university. Coming abroad wasn't even a goal or a dream. It was just I simply did not know what to do once the school train stopped running. Elementary to middle, middle to high school, high school to to university. And when I graduated university, I thought, wow, what am I supposed to do next? There's nothing going on. I've I've already mentioned this to you, but I've got really useless university degrees. I've got a degree in Latin slash classical studies, and I've got a degree in history. Not much you can do with those. And it feels really awesome to study those in an academic setting, and it feels really great to kind of progress through that system. But once you've graduated, you've got to turn that passion into a career, and most of those careers kind of suck. You know, you don't want to be a curator at a museum. No offense to curators out there, but it wasn't for me. I didn't want to work in the historical department at our local state. There wasn't much out there besides teaching at the local schools, which I think American kids may be a bit spoiled. I wasn't really thrilled by the idea of of teaching at the local middle or high school. So I uh, applied to law school, was going to go off and do that. But before I did, I deferred it for one year because my roommate said she was teaching abroad. That seemed really terrifying, and I like to do things that terrify me. So I signed up and came here. What about uh, what were your job prospects like right after graduating? Yeah, I'm curious if anybody else has this mindset, but um, about starting over. But my degree was in psychology. But, you know, as you go, as you said, you go through that path, elementary school, middle school, high school, college. And uh, after you, after I finished my uh, my my college and I I did some um, I worked at a a center for rehab for troubled kids. And I did a few other things. But the feeling was, hey, you're at the bottom of the rung again. So just like being a freshman in college, it was like we're going to basically trample on you for three or four years. You're going to get the minimum pay. You're going to do all the work. And, like, if you survive that, uh, you know, you may or may not get an opportunity afterwards. So I just, you know, decided to go my own way rather than go through that process again. But um, psychology's like a lot of other degrees it, you need a master's or a doctorate yeah. I guess to to not be yeah. stuck in that situation where you're not getting anywhere into your in your career until you're 40 definitely and to our listeners out there I want to announce that surprise cameo from the buzz saw in the background really excited that it came out <laughs> uh, yeah yeah man it's, it's really weird Pretty isn't it I think that there's a progression of steps that you're expected to take and then once you finish that you know the university step is the last one usually for a lot of people you get out there in the real world so to speak and it kind of sucks and the opportunities or what you expected to do with your life are kind of kind of crappy so at least for me again I'm gonna I really want to blame my parents <laughs> but I want to blame somebody 
But there was mm. a weird expectation. I guess the boomers had a really hard time, or the previous generation had a really hard time, really tough expectations. So my parents actively dissuaded me from pursuing careers. And they didn't really teach me about saving money or, you know, just, just what you need to be an adult, right? Like, you need to save, you need to prepare for this step, and then this step, and then this step. You don't want to be a 35-year-old dude with zero dollars in savings and, you know, zero prospects and no skills in your backpack to pursue a good job. My parents really probably were typically the best in the way that they were just like, do what you want, man. What, what's your favorite thing? Go ahead and do that. But in college, when you look at all those different majors, there's nothing that shouts at you, this is awesome, this is the best. Like, nothing says, when you're looking at the documents of the College of Arts and Sciences, oh, be a video game designer, be a podcaster, be a, be a dude who travels abroad. There's actually, surprisingly, no major that says that. It's, it, says, yeah. it says these other things, and you've got to choose from these other things something that's somewhat sort of interesting to you. It may not even be your passion, but from these limited choices, you got you got to choose something that's interesting. And it probably doesn't lend itself to the type of lifestyle that you want as an adult. And that's what I discovered. I was told to pursue what I'm passionate about, and from the limited things that I found on the, the college menu... I chose some that I was more passionate about than others, but not necessarily passionate about. And when all was said and done, there's just nothing left for me to do with that. So I had to find a way to keep life interesting, I guess. Yeah, I'd say I had a very similar experience yeah. with my parents. Why so. is it ESL teaching, I guess? Why did you choose ESL teaching as opposed to anything else? Well... If you do, uh, this was eight years ago, mind you, but if, if you did a Google search even back then, you're going to get the, the top result by far was uh, teach ESL in Korea, and number two was teach ESL in Japan. And uh, Japan was a little bit harder to get into. I'm sure the Japanese ESL teachers love here. Korea. They're a snooty bunch, no offense. <laughs> They're... They really love to take pride in the fact that they're in Japan, and that's, they'll lord that over you for as long as you live. Yeah, I mean, uh, good, good for good them. For, good for them, bro. You made it to Japan. We're in Korea. So. I think this, the, same ha the same thing happens with the citizens of the country, so it's yeah. kind of funny. A lot of, a lot of gatekeepers out there, a lot of, of snobbery. Got a ranking system. So, you ended up coming to Korea. There was nobody who had done it before you. There wasn't a buddy or a friend or anybody who was like, oh, that, that guy did it. I can do it. Uh, yeah, so I think that's how it is now. Everybody knows somebody that has a yeah. cousin or a friend of a friend that went to study abroad. Uh, when, when I did it back then, it wasn't to that point yet. So there was, and that was apparent when you got abroad to teach ESL. It was a different breed of people that were here. It was these people that had to really hunt and find the opportunity. Um, it wasn't they just heard from a cousin, oh, hey, it's fun to go teach abroad. Um, yeah, but that being said, I had a cousin that was like, I know, <laughs> I know somebody 
that went to teach in Korea, and they said it's like awesome. And uh, thankfully, I, I actually had traveled a good bit when I was younger, so I knew it. It wasn't scary for me. I knew it would be. I knew it was what I wanted it to do. So I jumped on that. Never looked back. Yeah, it's really interesting. So for the listeners out there, I've known Hal for years, and whenever I hear Hal talk about life in Korea as an ESL teacher before about 2012, which is when I arrived, it sounds like the Wild West. It sounds like some crazy, crazy business. I I just have this image of you arriving here on a steamboat in the middle of the night, getting off at the port, and it just being like a completely new country without anything to to help steer you along. Can I can I tell the story real quick of arriving here? Okay. So, first off, they lost all of my luggage. So when I arrived, I just had the clothes I'd been wearing for about three days because uh, the, you know a flight was canceled or something. So I had to sleep in the airport one night. Anyhow, I, I got here. I didn't know anybody or anything really about Korea. I didn't know the language. I walk out of the <laughs> walk out of the airport after trying to find my luggage for two or three hours. <laughs> and uh, there's a taxi driver with a piece of cardboard with my name scribbled on it. And uh, we can't communicate. He doesn't speak a, a lick of English. And he's... I think he was trying to figure out where my luggage was. He didn't want to take me without me uh, getting my luggage. But finally, he just put me in the in the taxi, and uh, that was a three and a half hour. Yeah, you lived in the boonies. You lived in the countryside. So I mean, you know, in the U.S., we don't really do taxis, right? And if we do, you certainly wouldn't jump in a taxi. Three hours, so I was I was really questioning like what is happening here. Yeah, and it was apparent I was in the boonies as well. I I ended up 12 kilometers from North Korea, uh, nearby the DMZ. Um, yeah, but anyways, I mean, yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. I and they, they he dropped me off in front of the school, and the principal, the vice principal, everybody was there standing in front of the school waiting. And they immediately took me to a restaurant where I learned you have to take your shoes off. And they put us in this tiny room together. And yeah, it's really it interesting. Bad. They do. Basically, I've, we've lived here for so long that we're some percentage Korean, at least through our manners alone, and you know through our habits. And it all makes sense now that meet that dinner and getting to know people and immediately socializing. On one hand, they spent the entire day or weeks preceding your arrival preparing and really excited, and they just want to be your best buddy, take you about Korea. But on the other hand, you just spent three days traveling. You lost all your luggage. You're gross. You haven't been able to shower. You're funky. You took a three-hour taxi ride into what would be just like the middle of nowhere. You arrive, and then dinner time. Let's go, let's go be best friends now. Yeah, yeah the social process tale. is just different. It's really, yeah, that sounds like what I would imagine. So yeah, before 2012, and I think 2012 is really when 
for some reason in my mind, I know that's when I arrived here, so I'm biased, but it really seemed like a, a well-treaded place already. It seemed like there were a lot of paths, a lot of knowledge about Korea, a lot of, a lot of knowledge of what to do, where to go. By that time, I think the major YouTubers had already popped up, and they had the really successful YouTube channels about life in Korea, so I think that was probably about the time of the start of the Korean wave. And so, me and you came here because we didn't really know what to do with the next step of our lives, I guess would be the best way to say it. But after we arrived, maybe people started coming here mm -hmm. just because of their interest in Korea. Yeah. Yo, K-Wave. Yeah, they call it the K-Wave. So, I think that pretty much tells the story of how we came here as ESL teachers. But that's really more like how we came here and became employed as teachers. So what made you stay? What made you pursue the career? Yeah, and this is this is the really important distinction because I, I don't know, I don't know if you've heard this, Steve, but this used to be what I would hear when I talked to the veterans. They'd say, you know, if you make it past two or three years, you're probably going to be here a long time. And if you don't, you know, if you're just a year, there's people that are here just for a year or two, and there's a big difference in those, in those teachers and those people. So, um, well, what made you say? I so think I forgot it's, your it's question there, get, but I hate to say it's pretty easy to get hired as an ESL teacher, but if you're a kid in America with a bachelor's degree, yeah, you can become an ESL teacher pretty easily anywhere else. That doesn't mean that yeah. you're not that you haven't worked hard in school, that you didn't work hard at university, because a bachelor's degree from an American university or a, an Eng a country, an English-speaking country, it's pretty impressive anywhere you go. Pretty powerful anywhere you go. Oh, we got some more yeah. cameos in the background. But <laughs> that doesn't mean that you're going to stick around and make that your career. Usually, like we said, people come here because they don't know what they're doing with their next step. They want to go hang out with BTS. They want to just be a YouTuber but you didn't and I didn't so what made you stick it to a career well yeah well let me I mean let me lay out those figures I started out at a public school they gave me really five yeah. to six weeks paid six vacation weeks paid vacation yeah if you do the fuck Actually, more than that off the books. Yeah, you know, that whole summer no period where they made you sit in there and at the computer. Oh, yeah, I, they didn't make me do that. So actually like two to three months off the books. But yeah, I got about the further you go out, um, the more they'll offer you in the contract because especially Americans, I don't know about other nationalities, they all want to go to Seoul. <laughs> so in your contract there'll be a lot it'll be a lot juicier if, if you're willing to get away from Seoul but yeah uh, I think five to six weeks paid vacation started out at about 2.1 or 2.2 so you get a, you get a bonus rural bonus yeah over two grand starting out and then um, paid housing as well um, and it's a real cushy job I mean, it's e it's a nine to five, and um, you've got maybe twenty hours teaching. So, it's a wonderful job for somebody starting out at 
especially if you contrast it with the reasons me and Steve left the U.S. I think the only reason you don't keep working that kind of job is if it's just entirely stressful or you can't handle being abroad. I, I think it's kind of a a given, right? Like, to stick that well, job out me, and save some of that money. Hear, like, I think many people might hear those figures and think, wow, that's low, like two grand a month. But they also don't realize that you don't have a need for a car. You, like you said, your housing's paid for. And what's being taken out of your contract every month is close to nothing. You've got health insurance provided. There's a lot of things that you're not paying for. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. it's wonderful, the medical insurance. So, uh, and your pension is pretty crazy, pretty too. Pretty easily. Especially if you live in the countryside and you're able to save. Well, and the money thing, I mean, if, if anybody's concerned about money here, you know, you just start doing private tutoring on the side for 30 40 bucks an yeah, hour. Yeah, I think one of the things now, that makes so. people not stick it out is they don't really see a future in it. Or there's a stigma. There's a really strong stigma against being abroad and and being abroad especially in a career that you're not trained for uh, or that you didn't study for. So well, that's a, probably a topic for another podcast, but when you're abroad, you'll hear, you'll, you'll suddenly get all these messages from friends that you rarely talk to, family members that only call you during Christmas, usually, and ex-girlfriends or ex-boyfriends, all talking about how much they miss you and how much they want you to come home, or, you know, maybe they'll even tell you how you need to get back to the real world, you know, the real world being what's home. That can really pressure you into coming back home. It worked on me. I ended up going home after my first contract because all these people apparently couldn't live without me. And I went home, and after a few days, all these people could live without me. And they really didn't want to hang out with me. We weren't, we weren't going around and, you know, killing the town, painting the town red. We weren't going around doing awesome things like they seemed to want to have done when they were messaging me and emailing me and calling me. And I think that's probably a big factor too in why people don't stick it out. It's just like a lot, there's a lot of pressure from your family and from your peers back home to getting you to return, either to make them feel safe and to keep the status quo going in their mind, or maybe you're just having too much fun and they feel like crap looking at your Facebook feed because <laughs> they see that you're eating crazy food and eating crazy awesome people. And, basically moving forward with your life post-university and you know, how can you move forward without them? That's crazy. I think there's a lot of pressure in that, getting people to come home. But from a professional perspective, you really, the things that keep you here, the things that kept you motivated were, or that job was just really, really nice compared to what you were doing before. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, I know I understand that people have dreams and jobs and other things going on and careers they want to start. Um, but this sort of position is a good launch pad into that. You're not you're not stressed out. You're not working late. You're in a very um, kind of good setting to 
to go where you want, which is uh, different from when you're sitting around the U.S. with all that pressure on you and you've just finished and you're working as an intern or, you know, somewhere for eight bucks an hour. To, to get to your dream from there looks a lot different <laughs> to, to getting to your Definitely. dream from where For we're at For me, now. I've got zero interest in teaching in the United States. And there are very few things that I was doing in the United States that really interested me. When I, I taught here for one year in 2012, I think, and I returned home in 2013, like I said, from all that family and mm -hmm. peer pressure forcing me to, or not forcing me, but really pushing my hand to return. And then a, an idea that I needed to get on with the real world. So like I might have mentioned earlier, I had deferred my law school, uh, my first year of law school. So I was getting prepared to go to law school when I went home. I ended up deferring for one more year because I missed it by a little bit. I ended up meeting all my friends and all my family, and they got really sick mm -hmm. of me after one week. That was a, a real shock because should have just stayed in Korea for that. And I had a really, like, a, a down time. Not, not a depressed time, but, you know, definitely, like, a bummer. All my friends seemed to have gone on to do either awesome things or things that didn't include me. And even though there was only a one-year gap since I had been in Korea, it seemed like they were worlds apart from me. And I didn't really know what to do. And I guess just as a function of life, you're always going to look at other people or people that you knew and whether they're doing more or more doing more or they are more successful than you and you're going to compare it to yourself. I've got that drill cameo in the background. And so I just I experienced it then and I didn't really know what to do. And so I focused on myself and my own things. I ended up learning about web design and search engine optimization and things like that. I actually opened an agency and I was doing that in the States. And money does not buy you happiness, like they say, because it was, it was a weird thing. I don't know. I'd, I lived in Columbia, Missouri still. That's where I went to university, at the University of Missouri. I was doing web design and SEO and those different things and the paycheck was pretty good and it was one of those things that people, my parents and my peers and whatever should have been happy for me or proud of me or whatnot. But it felt really weird to do those things. It didn't feel very fulfilling. And I don't really think it's the teaching part of ESL that makes the makes it fulfilling. I think it's the abroad part of ESL abroad that makes it more fulfilling. Which I know our purest teachers out there will really hate me for saying that I'm I really prefer the being abroad part to the teaching part, but I do. You know, that might be the most honest thing that a lot of ESL teachers can say. It's like, really, even though I've lived in Korea for five or six years, it's pretty awesome. So, I mean, everything's pretty new. There's a lot of excitement whenever I go out, even to a restaurant. I'm A2-level Korean, so I can hold a conversation kind of somewhat. But it's still pretty awesome going out there and living the life here. And I don't really see myself going back to the United States except for spurts of time. Like, I'd much rather still live here for all the headaches and cultural differences and whatnot. The ESL life abroad still interests me. And there's, there's great ways to make it your career. So you don't need to be constantly employed somewhere. It's pretty easy to make it your career and to you know, beef up your resume and get into a university job, do what we're doing, 
create your resources and sell them online. Open up an academy, which I don't recommend because it's a the less overhead you have as a teacher, the better. Private tutoring, like you recommend, is probably the best route to go. Just so many opportunities to to do stuff abroad, and it's pretty fun. You know, just the lifestyle is much much better than what I had going on in the United States, where I would just wake up, hop on the computer, and at night get drunk with guys who were a mix of seniors in college while I was a, I had already been out of college for two years so I had like the seniors and the law school kids still hanging out with them it was like a really weird kind of depressing experience because I knew as an adult something had to give I shouldn't be doing this I should not be retreading my college town for me anyway that's why I stuck through being an ESL teacher abroad I guess that's a long ramble, but I ended up coming back, folks. Like, so I was in America doing web design and SEO for a year, and despite whatever expectation my parents and my friends put on me and how successful I was now, where I was at that time in their eyes, it, it, just, didn't, it just didn't fix the problem, which was I was just not living the lifestyle that I wanted. I ended up coming back to Korea to continue doing ESL, and how of English basically started there. Yeah, I had a stint in the U.S. as well, and uh, I mean, same story basically, uh, which I think a lot of expats can testify to. But I think a um, great title for a podcast would be, which we've touched on, is like, if you love life abroad, if you want to keep doing something, but you don't want to teach, like how to do that and what to do because there are several paths um, to kind of leveling up or moving in a different different um, direction if what if the reason you're doing uh, ESL is because you enjoy the life and the lifestyle which is which is pretty important in life um, if you love put that the, on the schedule for the next podcast the life aspect of it you know, maybe we should prepare a lot more next time because I'm, I'm finding all these awesome topics in this main topic that I'd love to talk about. Because the lifestyle abroad, really, I've been here as a single dude fresh out of college. I've been here as a small business owner. I've been here as a continued small business owner with fiance. I've been here as a married guy, and I've been here as a father now. It all happened pretty quick. But every part of that life, I really have really enjoyed living abroad and living in Korea especially. Uh, it's just the money's good. That uh, collectivist mindset of taking care of each other is pretty awesome. It's pretty annoying as a single bachelor, but as a father, it's actually pretty nice when you have a kid with you and you know people are being responsible for their collective spaces. People are being responsible to include people. Like you said, when you first arrived from that airport, you just wanted to be on your own, kind of. You didn't want to go out and have that dinner, but... That's perhaps one of the annoying parts of collectivism for a single dude. That's actually pretty awesome when you have when you have your own family and people are helping you take care of your family. I ramble, I digress again, but anyway, that, the lifestyle abroad we should definitely talk about this and how to how to do and maintain that lifestyle without teaching is definitely an awesome topic. 
All right, folks, I guess uh, that's our ramble for the day. How, you got anything else to add? No, uh, let's, yeah, let's close off there. And, uh, yeah, we had kind of a broad topic. Yeah, you'll hear us talk today. about it from time to time. And if so you're hoping to hear a we'll parse chronological that. tale, a sequential tale of how we actually came here, my apologies. You know us, we, we ramble. Mostly me, just rambling on about stuff. Aimless. Um, so, folks, we really appreciate you tuning into these podcasts. Make sure that you subscribe wherever you can. You're going to see these on YouTube. You're going to see these on a few of the podcast networks out there we still don't really know and understand how podcast works but we're figuring out our boy joe rogan is out there on youtube it can't be that hard as always head to howlandsavingenglish.com to get your hands on one of our memberships you can get access to thousands of resources it's pretty awesome it costs 10 bucks a month basically after your first free trial month uh we really appreciate it if you give us money we like money because that means we don't have to teach pretty awesome you're supporting fellow people who don't want to hear kids shout at us we want candy or you're helping us avoid that i should say because we do own academy so we do like to teach if anybody asks we like to teach our kids not too much but we do all right and if you guys want to be involved in this podcast or our website at all definitely reach out to us, steve at howlandsteveenglish.com or go to our website and hit the contact form. Get involved. Shoot us some questions. If you want us to cover a certain topic, no problem. Just let us know. All right. We'll catch you next time.